Well, thank you. It's a blessing to be back in this pulpit again. I feel at home. I know I'm home. One of our former members came up to me before the service and said, after I said to him, thank you for being here, he said, I just came to see if an old man can preach. <laughs> I remember this season of the year. Well, I remembered it for over 60 years since I was a pastor beginning. Christmas always meant a lot to me. I spent three or four weeks preaching Christmas messages. And I remember about 15, 20 years ago, I was preparing for a series of Christmas messages. And I read something that just struck my imagination unbelievably. The pastor last week eloquently explained to us about what God coming in the flesh means. I mean, we're talking divinity came down to earth. And he did such a great job. But what this minister said was, and I quote, it is inconsequential to deal with the humanity of Jesus. The divinity of Jesus is the most important doctrine. And I got to thinking about that. Preachers every Sunday are standing in their pulpits and they're telling their people, if disappointment has come into your life, tell it to Jesus. If discouragement has come into your life, tell it to Jesus. I mean, if you're facing some fear that you can't handle, tell it to Jesus. If somebody hurts your feelings and you're feeling resentment to them, tell it to Jesus. Has your husband or your wife walked out on you, your son, your daughter, your grandchild? Do you feel rejected? Tell it to Jesus. People who don't know you, watch your lifestyle and you hear their critical spirits, tell it to Jesus. Have you ever been called names? Tell it to Jesus. Lonely? Tell it to Jesus. You see, these are human difficulties. And it's critically important that you understand that it is not inconsequential when you think about the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, we know because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he was tested in all points as we are, and yet he did not succumb to sin. And you can go to the bank with this statement. Jesus successfully navigated every one of these problems. And there should be no doubt in your mind that the bad guy didn't miss a single opportunity to get him. He was called a man, for there is one God, one mediator between men, God, the man, Christ Jesus, Paul said. I mean, he had the attributes of a man. He slept in a boat in a storm. Remember that one? 
He was thirsty from the cross. He said, I thirst. He was hungry, sat on a rock, and a woman from Samaria came while the disciples went for food. But he was called God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, he'll be called Wonderful, he'll be called Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thomas acknowledged after the resurrection when his doubting heart was laid aside when he saw Jesus and he said, My Lord and my God. So we're going to take another look at what we just came through. We want to take a look at Christmas from an entire, entirely different point of view. So I called to your attention the reading of God's Word that you heard the entire month. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. About this time, the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. About this time in my sermon preparation, I pretty well made up my mind I was going to deal with the humanity of Jesus. But how? I mean, I dealt with the humanity of Jesus before. And I was reading one of Max Lucado's books. And Max had a chapter on spiritual imagination. And in it, what he was dealing with was this. He said, we would learn much more about some of the mysteries of the Bible if we would take our spiritual imagination and couple it with what facts we know. And so I am going to use my spiritual imagination and think that I am Gabriel. But before we do, a familiar Christmas song, the words of which I am going to relate to in my message. Please hear it. Mary, did you know that your baby will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered, well, he'll soon deliver you. Mary, did you know your baby boy will give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know your baby boy 
will calm the storm with his hand did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod and when you kiss your little baby you've kissed the face of God the blind will see the deaf will hear the dead will live again the lame will leap the dumb will speak the praises of the Mary, did you know your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Yes, the sleeping child that you're holding He's the great must have scratched his head at this order from the Lord. He never questioned any order from God, but this one. Now, sending fire, dividing seas, that's what he liked to do. When God spoke, he went. Somehow, word had gotten all over heaven that God had decided to become a human. Gabriel was ecstatic. He could see the moment when God entered the world. Here comes a flaming chariot and God's sitting in it. Well, maybe God descending on a fiery cloud. Wow, that would get attention. Or maybe just an explosion of the Shekinah glory of God in light and out pops God. That's what he expected. But what he got was the address of some obscure town in Israel, and the message simply said, God will become a baby. Tell the mother to name the baby Jesus, and also tell her not to be afraid. 
Can you imagine? All this happened in one remarkable moment. As moments go, it was really no different from any other moment. I mean, if you somehow picked it off the timeline of time, it would look exactly like all the rest. It came and it went. But in reality, this moment was unlike any other moment in history. For in this moment, God was going to become a human being. While all the creatures on earth were walking around, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious gift in a human womb. Can you imagine? The all-powerful one put himself in one instant into the possibility of being broken, pierceable. He who was larger than the universe is about to become an embryo. The one who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a peasant girl. God became a fetus. Holiness was sleeping in a womb. The creator of life was being created humanly. I thought, wow, God becoming a baby. I, I had seen babies before. I even protected one in the bulrushes of Egypt. You remember that one? He remembered, I did remember what Moses looked like, but God? Why, we're told that the heavens cannot even contain him. How could a body? Besides, have you ever seen what comes out of bodies? Babies? Babies have to be carried and fed and bounced and bathed. Can you imagine some peasant girl bumping God on her shoulder? Why? That's beyond even my imagination. And I'm sure it was for Gabriel as well. And yet as he looked there, he was in the womb of a girl. God was being given eyebrows and elbows and two kidneys and an appendix. He stretched against the walls of her womb and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. What is it all about? It's all about God coming to us. Not in a flash of light as an all-powerful conqueror, but as a baby whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and her sleepy husband in the middle of the night in a stable in Bethlehem. 
It was hard for me to imagine as God's messenger. No silk, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Why, were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception at all. And if not for a group of stargazers, there'd have been no gifts. It is unbelievable to realize that the first hands that held him were unmanicured, calloused, and probably dirty. Let me think for a moment or two. I guess I know what we'll call him, I thought. We'll call him the eminent one, or the majesty, or the one heaven sent. But no, the father said to me, tell Mary to call his name Jesus. Jesus? Yes, Jesus. I was amazed there was a Jesus on every block in Israel. But I had my orders, and I delivered them just as I was told. Take this message to a girl named Mary. Mary, do you not understand there are hundreds of Marys in Israel? Oh, this one is pregnant in Nazareth, engaged to a guy called Joseph. Well, let me look and see what I can see about them. And I gazed over heaven's parapet. Mary was not a queen. The mother-to-be of God was not from some special family. She was a Jewish peasant girl who had hardly outgrown her acne. And not only that, she had a special crush on a guy named Joseph. Well, let me look. Joseph, what kind of a guy? I can't believe what I see. I thought he'd come from some tremendous family. But he's a carpenter. Man, there's sawdust all over him in his beard. There's a nail apron around him. You're telling me that this is the guy that God is going to be calling dad every night when he comes to dinner? Am I to believe all that? Why, he's a common laborer. What if he gets laid off? Or what if he decides to run off with some other girl? I must have thought at this point God had lost something. Now, in my imagination, I realized that God's guardians don't have musings like that. But the more I added my spiritual imagination to the scene with the facts of life, I became to the realization that while Gabriel was stunned by the coming of God into the world, he, Jesus, was born just for that. 
And for 33 years, he would feel everything that I felt. He'd feel weak. He would grow weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds. He burped and probably had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And yes, I believe he had headaches. You see, you can't talk about Jesus that way because we've made him Captain Marvel Jesus, the divinity Jesus. I want you to see Jesus the man, the only one after your salvation experience that can help you with the vicissitudes of life. To think of Jesus as I am suggesting is almost irreverent. It's not something we normally do. It made me feel uncomfortable. It still makes me feel uncomfortable. It's so much easier to keep humanity out of the incarnation. Let's clean the manure out of the stable. Let's brush away the sweat from his brown eyes. Pretend that he never snored or blew his nose. See, it's a lot easier to see God that way. However, when you continue to view God that way, he becomes detached from us, away from us, distant, packaged. Don't do that. Let Jesus be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the muck and the mire of the world. It's only then that we can identify in what we get from him. Now listen, not for one moment am I suggesting that when he encountered sin that he succumbed, for he did not. That's what makes him so different. But at the same time, it's what makes him so important to us. You see, he faced everything in life that we face on a daily basis, and he was victorious over it. And because of that, we too can be victorious. Well, back to that scene. Only heaven knows how long Gabriel flooded over Nazareth above Mary before he broke into her life and gave her the news of God's impending entombment in her womb. But he did. He told her the name. He told her God's plan. He told her not to be afraid. And when she hesitated, he said, remember, with God, nothing is impossible. The noise of that night, we don't understand. I mean, hundreds of people were forced to come into Nazareth because of the taxation. And so that small village was jammed with people. Vendors were stationing themselves on every corner of the most heavily traveled routes. And the owner of that inn was awakened earlier than usual. His inn was full. Every available mat and blanket had been put out on the floor. 
No one in his family bothered, I am certain, to ask about the young couple they had to turn away that night before because they had to turn away several families. Besides, who can talk about all that when the bottom line is we're going to become wealthy because of this taxation? They were too busy to wonder about anything like that except getting their share of money from all these visitors. The day was now upon them. We'll bake today's bread, do our morning chores. It was simply too much to imagine that the impossible had just taken place. God had entered the world as a baby in a stable, no less, with a stench of urine and dung and sheep pungently in the air. The ground was hard. The hay was scarce. Cobwebs all over the ceiling and a mouse scurried across the floor. And into that scene, God was born. As I mentioned before, off to the side was a small group of shepherds silently trying to understand what they had seen and heard. For you see, that night, the night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light and a symphony of angels. <laughs> Over in the corner, there's Joseph. He's half asleep. He hasn't figured all this out. The mystery of the event still has him puzzled he simply doesn't have the energy enough to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that Mary is safe and the baby is fine. But Mary, we're led to believe in the scriptures that she's wide, wide awake. Her head was probably resting on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. Her pain had been eclipsed by the wonder of the little baby in her arms. I don't know how, but I believe that Mary knew she was holding God, her son, her Lord, his majesty, and ultimately her savior. Can you imagine? At this one moment in history, the only person who understands and knows what is going on is a teenage girl in a smelly stable in Nazareth. She looked down at him. She hadn't ever seen her baby before except that morning. He, he didn't look like a king. His face was prunish and red. His cry, even though healthy and strong, was still the cry of a helpless baby. A little child dependent upon his mother for his well-being. And the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The people would scoff as they do today when told that the Messiah was lying in a manger in the arms of a teenager. They were too busy 
to deal with the possibility of that. They missed it all. And they're missing it all today because they're just not looking. He who is omnipotent became an embryo. The one who sustains the world became dependent upon a teenage girl. God as a fetus, holiness, sleeping in a womb. Angels watched as Mary changed his diaper throughout his early years in the universe. We all watched as he grew up. Children played in the street with him. I wonder if Jesus had any pimples. I, I wonder if some girl down the street got a crush on him. Say, it's terrible. No, that's not terrible. That's human. For you see, the Bible says he was completely divine and completely human so that he was called the God-man. And it all happened in one tremendous moment, one remarkable moment. I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I think she might have said, rest well, as she purred into his ear. She looked down at those tiny hands, hands reserved for work so precious to be recorded for eternity, to touch a leper's womb, to wipe away a widow's tear, to claw the ground in Gethsemane. Tiny hands, not destined to hold a scepter, but to receive a Roman spike driven deeply into his hands. Sleep, little eyes, she said. Sleep while you can, for your eyes one day will see things that you don't want to see. You'll see human nakedness and human selfishness and human pain and hell's deepest pit. Little tiny tongue and little tiny mouth. That same tongue and mouth will summon the dead back to life, still the storms, define grace and offer forgiveness. And those tiny little feet would take him to places he had never thought he'd go, even down to the deepest pit of Hades itself. Jesus born in one moment of time. In that body, with all those other appendages we mentioned, was a tiny heart. And that tiny heart was pumping the blood of life through the universe. How many times, Jesus, will your people break your heart? How many times, Jesus, will your people be ravaged by the cancer 
of our sin and torn by the rejection of those they love, crushed under the weight of your own sorrow. I wondered in my imagination really what it was like to watch him pray. I wondered when he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Or what did he think about when a little lamb was being led away to a slaughter? I believe the disciples saw in his face and demeanor times when he was listening to a voice from a distant place. I even wondered what it was like when he got his first haircut. I wonder who his best friend was. How did his other brothers and sisters deal with him? And so he was born. So many names in the Bible refer to him. Son of God, Lamb of God, Light of the World, Bright and Morning Star, Alpha and Omega. They are all phrases that stretch the imagination of humanity. As we do our best to try and capture the grandeur of God. But try as you may, there are no human names that can do him justice. Well, maybe one. It's not too small. It's not too grand. It's a name that fits him like the shoe fits Cinderella. Call him Jesus. Used 600 times in the Bible, the Greek form of Joshua, Jeshua, and Jehoshua, all familiar names. We wouldn't think if we were naming him ourselves, we would have called him Reverend Holiness or Angelic Divinity the Second. But God chose a human name for his human son because he wanted him to be touchable. He wanted him to be reachable. He wanted him to be approachable in every respect. As I wrote this down, I thought about it. If he was here today, he'd wrestle with your kids on the floor. He would help you cook a hamburger on the grill. That's Jesus. And so, people did come to him. They came at night, touched him as he walked down the road, followed him around the Sea of Galilee, invited him to their homes, placed their children at his feet. Why? Why did they do that? Because he acted like a priest from some elevated pulpit? No. He just chose to be Jesus, available to us. And so when preachers everywhere say, if you're suffering pain, he understands. You know he knows what pain is all about. Hungry? Yes, he was hungry many times. He didn't gripe about it, but he was hungry, thirsty. Did he have to have any parameters around him, teenager? 
Why? The Bible says he learned obedience. He had such pain in Gethsemane. Perhaps he was afraid in his humanity that he would let God down and God sent angels to minister to him. We're told he was always faithful. Was he tempted? Absolutely. He slept. He was anxious. Why, he was so anxious in Gethsemane that the Bible says sweat drops of blood came upon him. Your husband walked out on you. Your wife walked out on you. The children don't love you anymore. You feel rejected. Listen to him from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There he is in his humanity thinking even his father has walked out on him. Discouraged? Oh, yeah, he faced discouragement. When the disciples couldn't heal a man, Jesus said, how long? How long am I going to be with you? Criticism? <laughs> He's nothing but a wine-bibber and a glutton, they said. Why, he was born out of wedlock. I want to tell you what, folks. I'm glad for that Jesus. And he's available to you now. Some of you are facing some of the very real human things I just mentioned. He wants you to come to him. Maybe at the old-fashioned altar. I remember when we built the building, we wanted to have an altar to seat 120. And we have it. And you can come to this old-fashioned altar and say, oh God, I need you. And he understands. And he'll move into your life in a way that you haven't felt him before, but the first step is yours. Bow with me in prayer. This, of course, is a message for Christians who are hurting, who need a lift, a touch, a hand, someone who cares. Well, Jesus is the best I can ad advise you to go to. If you're here and you're facing any of these problems I mentioned, why not come and lay it on the altar of God? and ask him to help you deal with it. He was victorious over these things and he'll enable you to be victorious. And then of course, there's probably several people here who have never trusted Jesus as your savior. We dealt with the divinity of Christ last week. He was God in human form. And today we've dealt with him as a man. I don't know what other kind of God you're looking for, but if you're looking for a God who loved you enough to die for you, his name is Jesus. And some of our men will be here at the front to receive you. If you'd like to trust this Jesus as your Savior, 
Let this be the day that you do it. Father God, thank you for reminding us again of who you are. Give us grace to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.